Lydia, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So, you know, I just want to jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to the role you have now? Because you've sort of done a little bit of everything. And I think a lot of young people especially think like, you know, when somebody says, what do you want to be when you grow up? They think they have to have the definitive answer. And I think your career journey is the perfect um, example of what happens in the real world. So can you tell <laughs> right. us about that? <laughs> right, because you have your own plans and then you have when that actually meets reality. And so um, for me, I, I worked uh, after college, I similar to kind of, I have, that's why I have a close affinity with the recent graduates that either graduated last year or, or this year or getting ready to graduate because I came out of in 07. So a year before the market crashed and I ended up getting laid off um, several months after that in kind of early 2009 um, and just how difficult that was. But at least we had bars and happy hours where we could at least go drown our unemployment sorrows in a drink or two. So that's why I feel like it's, I, I cannot imagine how difficult this must be for, for them, but I definitely have, um, that, that, that experience, the affinity is there. What I will say is one of the things that I was looking for as I was trying to get back into the workforce after kind of this crash and burn experience because of the recession is I just wanted to be on payroll. Like that was my sole purpose, right? Like I just needed to be, I needed to be able to take care of myself. And so I, you know, in hindsight, I was desperately seeking jobs, um, you know, over the course of eight or nine years. And so that included me going back to grad school, it included, you know, merchant processing, luxury retail, market research. Um, I call it like my wander years. And it was because I was, it was so difficult. Um, I was, I kept bringing a different version of myself, this, the version that I thought other people wanted um, to be, or what I was told was professional. And because of that, um, you can only show up as some, as some other version of yourself, but for so long before things all start to crumble. And those were just things I did not understand coming out of college. Like I didn't know that I needed to assess a, an employer um, for their capability to enable and empower me to bring my whole self to work. Because, um, so when I got to Pure, I, I kind of always say I fell into Pure's arms at that point. I had been searching for so long. And I won't say I worked at toxic places, but I will say I worked at places that prepared me to appreciate everything that Pure does. Um, and so I got, when I got here, I still didn't necessarily know who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do because there was just all of this noise from switching jobs every year, every year and a half. And, disappointment and the frustration that goes along with that and getting to pure after about the first eight months um you know I'm like all right everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid cool sure and then I'm like oh well, it's really not even Kool-Aid it's actually like healthy infused lemon basil water like it's actually pretty and then I'm like all right well so I'm now just now I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop and then I'm like no everyone's kind of walking around barefoot on the grass like there is no shoe to drop and so just being able to have that stability that was a, that's what kind of quieted all the noise. Um, and that's when I was finally able to figure out, Hey, what do you like to do? <laughs> you know, like less about what you want, who you, what you think your calling is, but what are the things that you enjoy doing? So we have passion courses at Pure. So I was able to start off in this office manager role, but because, but I was also able to take oil painting. Um, I was able to take a business intelligence course um, and learn SQL and kind of, ex, you know, expand my Excel skills. Um, took a wine course because, 
you know, was, was interested and all they did was drink wine for several weeks, but it didn't matter because, you know, my job paid for it. They, they have the fundamental understanding that happy people do better work. So whatever we can do to facilitate your happiness outside of work, they know that um, the business will be better off because of it. And so, um, and that's really between all of these different opportunities to kind of try out things that I did, that I liked and didn't like outside of the organization, but also had the opportunity to have cross-functional projects and have, you know, leadership that was invested, supremely invested in my development. Those were the things that made all of the difference. So that's why I can say after not working anywhere longer than a year and a half, that's why it's such a testament really to Pure and the organization and the inclusive culture that they've built, that I've now been here four roles in four and a half years, um, all the way starting from office manager, messing around in the compliance world for surplus lines, and then also now taking kind of my outside experience from my undergrad as well as graduate days and, and taking that and moving it into diversity inclusion in this new role. Thank you for that. That's, yeah, I I love that, right? So you start out with like this powerful need to eat. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Right? The basic fundamentals. The basic fundamentals. Like I don't want to, I don't want to live, you know, on the street and I need food. And you've, you've managed to find this place that, that embraces you as you, as a professional. I want to go back to something you said though, about what you were told professionalism was. And there is so much um, white supremacy and so much patriarchy built into the word professional or the concept of professional in most environments. And I was wondering if you could, if you could kind of enlighten folks on what does it feel like to be in that kind of um, strict professionalism from your perspective? Like how do people know when they're not in a place, right? If, if everywhere they've ever been has been like that, they may not know that that's what they're dealing with. Can you kind of expand upon that and what that feels like? Yeah, what it, what it can feel and look like is you working somewhere, um, you know, and in, in code switching and covering. So if you're having a conversation and you, the way I know, like sometimes I'll have a joke in, in my head that I'm getting ready to like make a reference to, and then I'll say, oh no, they, my, the people I'm talking to, they've never seen or heard or anything like that. And then I'll just stop. And then it's like, well, no, now I'm kind of in this place where I'm powered. Like, no, I'm going to keep going with the joke. I'm going to give the reference point. Who cares if they've never heard of Cat Williams or seen Belly before? They're going to now have that experience because that's a part of who I am. Like, and it relates to me. And so um, I think from like the term professional, you find yourself, you know, like I said, tucking away your blackness, covering all of the pieces of you that actually allow people to be able to connect with you. And so, you know, in conversations, you know, if you find yourself, you know, you might be giving a virtual side eye and that's that's you saying, hey, you don't feel comfortable here because if it's something enough to elicit some sort of visceral response where you don't feel good and you don't feel like you have the opportunity to actually be able to discuss it, that's to me like the flashing red warning indicator um, there. And so, you know, we've, when I think back to some of the professional training that I had in undergrad, you know, we had visuals and it was very much, you know, you had to straighten your hair and, you know, put on the pearls and, and all of these different things. And a lot of it was masked as tradition. Um, but 
even the nuance in that in that tradition is that it's steeped in patriarchy and white supremacy as well. So it's about one under, and these are the, and I went to an HBCU. So it's one about understanding that, you know, the position that, you know, HBCUs are kind of in, in that they know what's waiting for you on the outside and they want to prepare you for that. But it's hard to prepare you for a world that is not going to accept you as who you are, right? So what I what I've been encouraged by is some recent recruiting that I've been able to do down at Spelman. And um, they had a reverse career fair, which I thought was like this most novel, fantastic idea where students don't come to the employers, employers go to the students. And so they had it set up with um, essentially campus organizations. And so the campus organizations, they're there because they want sponsorships as well for the events that they're doing. And so they're not sending just regular member organizations, they're actually sending their, their leadership. And so to be able to watch these young women talk about the things that are passionate to them, the organizations that they are involved with, um, was so, and, and just with so much pride and you can, no one was covering, no one's tucking away who they are. I was impressed because I was like, this is not what it looked like 10, 12 years ago when I was on campus. So I'm I'm encouraged that it's going, that it's definitely evolved and it's progressing in, in a good way. And we have organizations that are making space and are kind of tearing down what it means to be professionalism, professional and even things like Crown Act with legislation with California saying, you know, locks and braids. And so there's all of these things happening on all these different levels um, where, you know, it, it is changing, relatively speaking. Um, and, and so, and, it, and hopefully in a, in a good way, but, um, but it's, yeah, that's what, that, that's kind of what it can look like. And I think that's what, um, when it's changing, what it also can look like. No, I appreciate that. And so, you know, I know you said when you went, when you got to Pure, it was different. Um, but, and I hope it's okay that I ask about this because when, when we t spoke before, um, you took a pretty serious risk um, in your work to get the role that you have now. I mean, you kind of, I mean, you know, you know like you kind of <laughs> laid a bunch of stuff out there and I, I would love for you to tell that story because, you know, in your case, that bold move paid off right and i think i think people need to hear those stories that you know are sitting there wondering like is it worth the risk because a lot of times we hear about the times when people are you know escorted out of the building for for <laughs> being honest and sharing their truth right. but you know there there are cases where when you take a leap the net appears and i was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that story how you moved from your previous role into this one in dni Sure. Uh, I, like I said, I was pretty well into the compliance management role. And I was even thinking about kind of taking, going in a different trajectory because I've been playing around with robotics process automation and just different innovations. And so it was literally could not be two different kind of trajectories. So that's what I was thinking about. That's what I had voiced um, as what would be the next step to my manager and kind of had him thinking about some ideas of what that would look like. Um, and then, you know, you watch eight minutes of George Floyd losing his life. Um, and what, so what that does to you is, and, and this is on the heels of Breonna Taylor, this is on the heels of Ahmaud Arbery. And so you just don't have enough time to process. And ultimately what happens when you're in the workplaces, 
even though you know you can't cover, but you can only cover buckets so long, it still doesn't stop you from trying to do it. And so the moment I became free at Pure was when after, this was some other time, you don't even remember what the incident was because there's just so many and you compartmentalize all of them until you get to that breaking point where you can't, you have your breakdown and then you have to start kind of all over again. Otherwise, because you'd be in a rage every single day um, to James Baldwin's point. And so I had a very honest, transparent conversation about the wealth gap, um, about systemic racism, inequality, stuff like that with my, my former um, SVP. And that's kind of what opened up this relationship where I could feel comfortable being myself. It was like, oh, wait a minute. I said the quiet part out loud and it built a relationship, you know? It, it actually took it a couple steps deeper. So fast forward, I so I'd already kind of had this environment where I felt comfortable in my own skin. And so our CEO, this was the Monday Monday morning after all the protests. I feel like we'll always remember that Monday morning. And he sent an email um, essentially saying, hey, we've gotten by just resting on our laurels. We thought being good was enough. Um, and it's not, and it's not just enough to be non-racist. We have to be anti-racist. So along kind of the, the same lines. And so I had no intentions of responding to that email. None. I, I was, I was like, oh, okay. It was nice that he, it was nice that he gave a, a nod. Like it was an acknowledgement, um, especially juxtaposed to my husband at the time, who's his CEO had just done an all lives matter post that very same morning. So even just within the same household, we're dealing with all these different dynamics. And so I got into a management meeting and then something kind of just struck me within that meeting, being the only person of color, only man, but only um, manager on the black manager on the team. And I said, you know what? I got, I do have something to say. And so what was supposed to be, you know, a, a paragraph or two turned into this like Aaliyah style four page letter. It took two and a half hours <laughs> before I knew it. And I think I, I read it to Nick first and I was like, I was like, there's a, there's, a, there's a possibility that he could leave, my CEO could leave this email thinking I called him my oppressor. So there's a very, there's a possibility. And I was, I looked at Nick and I was like, are we okay with me being fired today? Like, are we okay with that? And he was just like, you, you can't, he was just like, look, you can't lose fighting for your truth. You can't lose standing in your truth. We're okay with you getting fired today. And so I pressed send. And then we went out and we uh, later that evening went to some protests, came back, had an email from my CEO and had a call from my SVP of HR. And so obviously I didn't get fired. Um, and so, and what she told me was like, you know, we got a lot of responses, you know, from your colleagues, just really being excited about kind of, you know, us taking a stand and acknowledging it. She was like, but then we got a couple of responses like yours that made us take a harder look at ourselves in the mirror. Um, and kind of reevaluate what are our values and how are we living these values every day, not necessarily just performing them, but living them. So fast forward um, two weeks later, that's when I hear about the announcement of this new senior role for diversity inclusion. And I walked back and forth pacing this very quaint condo only to try to convince myself that it was not what I was supposed to do. Um, but in all reality, it was what I was already doing. Um, so I had already been working with, you know, when I met um, our SVP of HR, I had already worked with her on some recruiting events down at Spelman and Morehouse, just because I was naturally interested. Um, I was already reaching out to my colleagues who 
were going up for positions and connecting them with other people that I knew who maybe they didn't know because they didn't have cross-functional opportunities. Um, you know, I was already donating because uh, we have um, employee donation matches and we also have unlimited volunteer time off. So I was already taking time to go do big brother, big sister stuff with my little because she's always in a play and it's always in the middle of the day. I, I don't understand that. But, but I don't have to worry about not being able to attend because I have, um, you know, this flexibility. So it was kind of just like, no, you're already doing this. And relatively speaking, I think, you know, the events from earlier this summer, wherever you were, you knew it just wasn't enough. And, and that's different for everyone, wherever you are, relatively speaking. But for me, my waking non-working hours were dedicated to, you know, this liberation of minorities and I got to a space where I was like no my waking hours or my waking working hours also need to be dedicated to this as well and so that's kind of how the opportunity and I interviewed went through the process put forth a really bold initiative um because of pure being the unique place that it is where it's not kind of starting from scratch or ground zero um we kind of have the luxury of being able to put forth some really bold audacious ideas so for instance, on the give back front, sure, we're, we already have an insurance foundation. We're already sending you know, money to different organizations along with people to volunteer in addition with that donation. How do we take it a step further? Well, giving back isn't just cutting checks. You know, We are rehabbing million dollar homes every day. How much of the vendors that we're paying, that how many of those are, minor, are minority owned businesses? What's our spend with minority owned businesses? Are we tracking that? So there's just so many ways for DNI to be integrated, um, and I'm really excited. If you could probably tell just about all the possibilities, um, because like I said, if you would have asked me January, what would you be doing by the end of the year, I would have certainly told you, oh yeah, I'm building bots. That's what I would have. That that's what would have been my answer. I'm building bots and getting into innovative technology. But there, you can only run from your true passion and calling, but for so long. That is absolutely true. And <laughs> I, I know so many people who are in that space. I want to ask you, it, there is, you know, there's a lot of trauma, personal trauma to process right now um, with, you know, the the cold-blooded murders of, of Black people by police, the cold-blooded cold murders of vigilantes, right? You know, by vigilantes of, of Black Lives Matter protesters. You know, the pandemic and the health disparities are are you know kind of being put in the spotlight right now you know with black men dying at a higher rate than any other demographic from covid it, how how do you i'm not i'm not sure i'm gonna ask this question right but there's a lot of personal trauma to process and i think some people use work as a way to escape from being in that space of dealing with the personal and collective trauma. How do you keep yourself whole when your work and your volunteer time and your personal life all exist within the space of, you know, standing up to actively dismantling oppression? That's got to be exhausting. Yes and no, right? So the standing up part, at least for me, the actual doing, that's what's the that's what the relief is. That's what the break is. Cause at least I can say I am actively working. Cause we all have, 
we all have lanes. We all have lanes that we were called to. And oftentimes we find we're in other lanes, other people's lanes, because we're trying what's new. But ultimately, you know, you cannot be deterred when you are in your lane doing what you have been called to do. And so for me, I think what was difficult from a trauma standpoint, because you're not just dealing with your own personal trauma, but then you're also do, dealing with, you know, trauma of your friends and family members who are also being affected by what's going on, but at different levels. So, and, I mean, we see it, you know, you named a couple of examples, but we even, I think what COVID is doing and to some extent our political climate is really um, shining a light and exacerbating the areas where we had issues already. Like we wouldn't have to worry about socially distancing in in elementary schools or middle schools if we had a, the, the recommended teacher to student ratio. We That it would already been, you know, so all it's doing is highlighting what we have known has been issues across the board from a health standpoint, um, you know, even from broadband internet access, half the country not being able to get online and be able to, to do schooling, which is why you see a pushback sometimes and why people want to be. So there's all these di different factors. And so um, you almost sometimes you feel like you're, you're in the inception of racism, right? And then you can, and then you turn around and then you have, you know, from our current administration that is now banning all sorts of um, critical race theory and unconscious bias training. And so, which is essentially the core uh, that's given us the language and the tools to be able to discuss what's happening around us. And we're saying, look, let's take the language away because we, we, we can stop, you know, if we can take the language away, then we can stop you trying to stop you from talking about it. And so um, obviously it's frustrating. That's the very definition of censorship, by the way. <laughs> The very definition, the government telling you, you can't use certain words. That's exactly what censorship means. And I just, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> the hypocrisy is there. I think I just saw this quote, like if hypocrisy um, is happening in broad daylight, then you know corrupt power is happening in the shadows or something. I just saw that a quote, um, I think it was like in the Washington Post uh, over, over, earlier this week. But, um, you know, you it, it's 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 you'd be crazy to think that all of these things aren't affecting you at any given time and then you deal with the generational and then the, also the familial trauma as well within the community so there's colorism and then so all these other different factors that are always at play you deal with you know generational wealth and the fact that you know most families of color are nine times out of ten paying their money backwards to help their families that are struggling because they're the ones first generation that probably gone to college versus families that are able to pay it forward and actually start building wealth so again it's and then you know we work i work for an insurance agency where we literally serve the most some of the most privileged people in the world like that's what the p in pure stands for is privilege like so it's literally embodied within the name so yeah i mean that literally 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 <laughs> it's privileged okay. underwriters reciprocal exchange like the p stands for privilege and so but to the same extent you often you kind of use that as a motivator to make amends and to say and to show this is who we are like part of our um, our, our vision statement is that we're fostering a diverse, equitable, inclusive environment that's tangibly felt and visible in not just our, in our member, in our employee, 
as well as in our communities. Like we have to be able to, to see and feel that um, everyone there. So I'd be lying to you if I said it doesn't kind of get to you, especially when we're bombarded by a constant barrage of news cycles and 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 one and literally something that could in 10 years ago, any given story from a given week could have been a six month thing. But in this cycle, it's literally just a couple of hours because there's just so much insanity happening um, around us. So many things that we can uh, that we understand like we clearly know where, where it's rooted from where it comes from um but just i think what i struggle with is obviously what we're seeing is an absolute like control of uh, a crisis of power wanting to be able to stay in power um but i think what's difficult is that wow like you're willing to do that we know you're willing to do that at the cost of someone else's um existence but the inability to see and acknowledge how the price that other communities are paying, the ability to acknowledge that, I think that's the most frustrating part because now the gaslighting, that's where, that's where I draw the line. Like we, 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 I don't, we're not having conversations with you trying to gaslight me about what is happening and has been happening um, all around us. So to your question, I know I went all the way around the world and came back. I certainly do feel it. I use it um, on my best days. I use it as motivation to keep going forward. Um, and it's true motivation and fuel. And on the days where personally, it's just tough to manage, gotta take a mental health day. <laughs> just, I gotta take, you know, I might go buy a plant. I may go um, watch a documentary or a TV show that feels particularly, you know, rejoiceful or at least redemptive. Um, so I've been really enjoying Lovecraft Country that that's been on and just you know, unpacking all of the nuances there. Um, so yeah, I, I, journaling every day, devotions, all sorts of things to really keep your emotional and mental and spiritual health, um, you know, sound. Absolutely. And, you know, I know some folks who, um, you know, it's, they feel like they can't get away from, <laughs> right. What's like, it's like, I just need a break. I just need a break. And it's like, there's almost no place to go to get that break. And, you know, when you're living it 24 seven, personally and professionally, right? There's, that's just, that's a lot. And I, I don't, um, I don't want to overlook that this work is particularly draining um, when, when you're fighting for yourself, right? When it's, there's something almost, um, you know, there's, there's like this badge of honor given to allies, right? That mm -hmm. like you do the minimum and everybody <laughs> thinks you're great. Right. And I've seen that, right. Cause I've, I've been mistaken for allies in different communities that I actually belong to. And, you know, people, oh, you're doing such a great ally. And then they find out you're part of that, that group. And mm -hmm. they're like, oh, okay, well, we're glad you're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, yeah. like, it's like all of a sudden you're not, you know, you're like, nobody really you know, wants to hear it anymore. Once they realize like, oh, you're here for you. Oh, okay. Well, that's oh, okay. Yeah, you're, supposed and, to be here. <laughs> you're supposed to be here. Where else would you be? And so, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, I want to honor you for the work that you're doing, but also from the, for the place from which you're doing it, because I think right now is a really, you know, it's a difficult time for everyone. It's especially difficult for black women who, you know, apparently, you know, just are completely unprotected. Right. If we look at the the example of Breonna Taylor and, and others, and I'm just so grateful that you're here and that you're doing this work and particularly that you're doing it 
in the most privileged, literally, part of the insurance <laughs> industry, right, which has historically been white dominated, male dominated, you know, not, um, I mean, the insurance industry even has a history of, you know, having insured um, people as property yes. right, in, in the inception of our country. So I just, I think this work is so important. I think where you are and what you're doing is remarkable and critical. Um, to moving us forward in so many ways as an industry and as a country and as a people. And I'm just so grateful for that. And thank you. Oh, thank you. And I appreciate you for providing platforms like this. You've been able to get, you know, uh, continue connections and folks that I've met through you and through the people that you have connected me to. Um, all of that is greatly appreciated because, you know, we're all Granted, we may, we're in different, like I said, kind of going back to that idea of lanes, like we all kind of have our lane, our particular calling. And when someone can help you along their, your lane and vice versa, especially when we're all going, kind of working towards the same, you know, critical goal, um, that, that, that makes it all the more, um, all the more enjoyable. Thank you. And for what it's worth, go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say for, for what it's worth it, pure well, also, because I'm not sure I would have taken this position at any, at very many other companies, um, but because you, you mentioned like that fight. And so, yeah, to your, I remember when I responded to my um, CEO that original time, like I said, like, it's so important to be, you know, acknowledged when you're just fighting for humanity. And so that fight is certainly happening outside of our kind of virtual walls. Um, but I think what's helpful um, and crucial, and probably not even helpful, it's probably the underpinning of it, is that I don't have to fight within the organization. Like I don't have to make the case to anyone that you know we're you know why we're doing anything. That is already a foregone conclusion. And I think I would have a really difficult time if not wouldn't be able to work in an environment where I had to convince anyone of that diversity, equity, and inclusion are landmarks that need to be embedded in our foundation. I, I don't think I'd be able to, to survive in that particular type of environment where I am now personally. Yeah, it's a it's a different conversation when your CEO has said, uh, we need to be anti-racist instead of not racist versus your CEO has said, all lives matter, get over it. Right, <laughs> it's, it's too different. It's a much different worlds. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say that I, I have talked to plenty of people whose CEOs have been in that former camp saying the right things, mm -hmm. but when the rubber meets the road, that's not really where they are. And so I think it's, I think it's wonderful that, that you work for a company with that kind of integrity that says it and means it and is willing to grow into what they see themselves as aspirationally. It's huge. Certainly. That is yeah. huge. Can I ask you, Sophia, where do you go for community um, for your work? For my work. So we have, um, I remember this was when I was still in my previous role working out of our Roswell office. We had, I think at that time, because I was the first um, black person, I was the per per first person to in that office altogether. And that was the case for quite a bit of time. And then we had maybe like three um, black women join over a period of time. And I think by the, and so I obviously said, you know, when I spoke to them, I, you know, was building a relationship. But I want to say around the fourth one, it's kind of like we almost got antsy, like, oh, let's take her out to lunch. And so we sent, I sent a message um, and like to just everyone in the, all the black women in the office, like, hey, do you guys want to take, you know, so-and-so out to lunch for today? And they're like, yeah, yeah. 
And so that informally became like our Black Girl Magic Chat. So it's like BGF. And so anytime someone else joined the office, we go right back, hey, join it, you know, adding on so-and-so, who do you want? So I remember um, that Monday morning after the protest, um, before my CEO had sent an email or anything like that, I went on to that chat and I said, ladies, like, I was like, I'm I don't know how you're feeling, but if it's similar to mine, it's pretty heavy. And if someone asks you what's wrong today, you tell them, like, we don't, um, it's bad enough that we have to suffer. I was like, but gone are the days of suffering in silence. Like, you know, people complained about that week, like, oh man, this was such an exhausting week. And I was like, oh, really? Like my existence is exhausting. It's, that's every week, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I appreciate, I appreciate, you know, those moments. So that's kind of my, my, my BGM, my Black Girl Magic Chat. Um, is where I go. And then we we actually do within this organization have, um, so one of our ERGs that we're putting together is an ally ERG. So we're actually going to give resources to people in our organization who want to be a better ally. Cause I'm, I'm like you, I don't like, let's not throw out the term all willy nilly. Like it, it's not just about, you know, a post here or a post there or some sort of declaration. It's about the work all right who are you are you advocating for you know people who don't look like you when you're in how are you using your specific talents and tools and resources and privileges to help and bring someone else up to um or to at least or to get eradicate the barriers that would prevent someone from rising up to where you are so um it's it's been i'm glad that i've been able to have really genuine relationships um across the board regardless of race gender um, socioeconomic status, um, just religion, what, what have you, like I've been able to have. And so I do feel like I have a community here at Pure. Like there's some people that I only call just to talk about weird documentaries that I saw, you know, like I just, you know, like The Vow, I'm watching that and that kind of has like my sweet spot of cults and, and, and corruption and financial, <laughs> like that's, that's like the best part of, you know, like wild, wild country, like who can I talk? So I have like, you know, I have my folks. So, who do I want to talk about in Lovecraft or what we just saw this week? So, it's um, it's great to be able to have a community at work. It's it's necessary, but um, it's also really important as well to have that community um, outside as well. Absolutely, Sophia. Thank you so much for your time today. I am so grateful to know you and so grateful to have had you on the show. Oh, and um, I hope that folks will connect with you on LinkedIn. We'll make sure to put your LinkedIn. Um, link in the show notes so people can follow your career and all of the amazing things that you're doing at Pure and everything that you will do from here on out, which I just can't wait to see. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amy. I appreciate it. And if anything I can ever do, I'm here. <laughs> Wonderful. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.